We've been in a series called The Movement, and the whole idea behind that is we spent time going together through the book of Luke. Now we're going through the book of Acts with some readings each week. I'll encourage you to continue to look at that and continue to read through Acts. And the whole idea has been to look at who we are as God's people and remember that we're part of a movement. We're part of a bigger picture than just you or I. I don't know about you, but sometimes my life can get too much into the weeds. Do you know what I'm talking about with that? You know the things that can pull you down into just minutia in your life? The stuff that just gets you aggravated, the difficulties. And, and all of a sudden, we don't see the big picture anymore. In fact, it becomes very, very narrow and focused just on our own kind of situation. And I find that when that happens to me, that's actually discouraging. Because to be real, my life without the connection with what God is doing is way too small. There just isn't enough there. But when I connect, when my life is connected with what um, God is doing, and when I sense that I'm part of something bigger, and when I really am engaging in that, there's something that happens in my spirit. There's a joy that comes. You say, well, Ian, you're a pastor. You always feel like you're just doing what, nah, I can, I can get, I can get pretty, pretty low-key too. I can get pretty locked into just the weeds if I want to sometimes, and I need to lift my eyes too and see what God has. So we're going to continue on with this series today called The Movement. And yes, I'm going to talk about extraordinary prayer. Last week, Joel did a great job talking about community and how important it is for all of us to have community and how God meant for us to have community. And, you know, one of the things that, that he looked at was in Acts chapter 2. We're going to look there again, verse 42. We're going to look at the things they did in community. Um, and here's what it says. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I like what it says in the message. Um, it says they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together. I like that. The life together. Fellowship. The life together. The common meal and the prayers. And so there was something about a rhythm of living that was beyond just a Sunday morning or a meeting. There was an interaction. There was a connection that they had together that produced a lot of fruit. And it says that they were devoted. They, they were continually devoting themselves. And I was looking up, what does that word devotion or devoting mean? It's an enthusiasm for a person, an activity or a cause. An enthusiasm, an energy that is there. And then let's look here to Acts chapter 6 because this is another part where it talks about their devotion to prayer. And what, what was happening here is the church was exploding in Jerusalem. This is what's happening in Acts chapter 6. Like they are seeing so many people come to Jesus and with people coming to Jesus, there are lots of needs. You know, we often talk about, wouldn't it be great to have a revival? Wouldn't it be great to see all of Calvary come? It would be great. It would also be very messy. We would need a lot of people engaged to help, right? I mean, it would require a lot of effort to meet those needs and to help disciple those people. And so they were in that problem, but in that situation, it was great. But it was, what was happening is the apostles, the leaders, they were kind of getting bogged down in the weeds, so to speak, with a lot of the day-to-day. And so they were worried about trying to see these widows fed and other things happen. And so finally they said, hey, you know what? We need to appoint some other people. 
we shouldn't just be doing this ourselves. We need other people. So we're gonna, we need seven men of good reputation who we can put in charge of this. So then, then in verse four, it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, to prayer and into ministering the word of God. And, and that, that whole idea of devotion again is to give a, all or a large part of one's time or resources to a person, activity, or cause. You and I would agree that what you're devoted to is going to get your energy. It's going to get your time. It's going to get your money. It's going to get the best of you, right? Whatever you're devoted to. And so what I see here in Scripture is that prayer, community, fellowship, everything we just talked about, they were devoted to it. Like, in other words, it was priority for them. And, and they were putting a large part of their time and resources towards it. So I wanna, I'm going to start off with an easy softball question. I mean, some of those questions that, that Joel was throwing out last week, I mean, they were like, wow, like they were soul searching. Did, did anybody feel that way? I kind of did. It's like, this is, I mean, it was good, Joel. I'm just saying it was good. But I'm going to start off with a softball question, just an underhanded softball question. Here, here it is. What are some things you've really been devoted to in your life? It could be any relationship, pursuit, passion, or purpose. How does that benefit you? How has that been a blessing to you? What are, the, the just, the, I'm not even talking about, it doesn't have to be super spiritual. I'm just saying, what are some things? What are some passions? What are some areas you've devoted time and energy to? And you're like, that's really good. I've really benefited from it. Take a moment to think about that. You know what? I'm going to actually throw it open here. Ah, I'm going to throw it open. Throw me some stuff. What are some hobbies? What are some things that you really enjoyed in life? We're going to get people stirred today because, you know, it's a little bit sleepy out there. I mean, don't you, don't you agree? It just feels like we're fighting the room a bit today. Okay, so what are some things that get you going? You love music. I know the music you love too. It's full of energy. It really is. That's great. Yeah, I'm with you on that. What else? Sports. What kind of sports? That's right. You were really... In the day, right? You were really into gymnastics. That's right. What else? Anything else? Just activity. Yeah. Awesome. What else? You love camping. Any places in particular? Anywhere in the mountains. Well, you live in a good spot for that. That's great. Camping's good. Yeah. Anyone else? Hiking? Yeah, that's good. There's a lot of good hikes. More than I have. Yes, Georgia. Oh, you're camping. Okay, that's good. Well, especially, that's a good thing because your parents are into camping. So you got you to be there. It's <laughs> good, Georgia. Anybody else? We won't labor. Yeah. You love building Lego. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was really passionate about building Lego when I was younger. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. So we all have things that we pursue, that we give our time and devotion to. And uh, they're good things, right? And, and God wants us to have those things. So I'm gonna, what I want to do in a moment is I want to show you how that the devotion to prayer in the book of Acts is, was the underpinnings of the miracles and the supernatural happenings that occurred. You know, often, if you're like me, I, I see the events that happened and I can see the, the fruit, the, the results, without really considering the effort in prayer that happened behind it. And, and really, as we look at Acts, we'll see that 
there was always some intensity in prayer that preceded some of the greatest moves that God did. And you know, when I think about this, this whole aspect, there's a term that's called extraordinary prayer. And the person who came up with that, the person who actually kind of coined that phrase is a man named Jonathan Edwards. Anybody heard of Jonathan Edwards? He lived in the 1703 to 1758. And in 17, I think it was 1739, 1740, somewhere around there, there was an amazing move of God in North America called the Great Awakening. And it was a season and a time when Christians came alive, when Christians woke up. That's why awakening. Something happened. And here's what Jonathan Edwards, he was one of the great revival preachers. You know, one of the messages he would often preach was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And uh, it doesn't sound, it sounds like, wow, that's quite a message. But he would preach a message that would stir people to repentance. So much so that they were almost holding on to the pews in front of them, lest they be falling into hell. Now, we don't generally hear that kind of preaching nowadays, and I am not that kind of preacher. But people were really stirred because there was such a stirring about getting things right with God. Jonathan Edwards, here's what he said about extraordinary prayer. He said, God's people will be given a spirit of prayer, inspiring them to come together and pray in an extraordinary manner that he would help his church. Show mercy to mankind in general. Pour out his spirit. Revive his work and advance his kingdom in the world as he promised. Moreover, such prayer would gradually spread and increase more and more, ushering in what he called a revival of religion. Wow, he's just saying this kind of prayer stirs something in our hearts for the world around us. Stirs an empathy and a compassion and, and softens our hearts so that we care about the people around us. So that we're, we're stirred and it's like, a, it's, it's like it moves from there and it affects everyone and it affects society. And the, the reality is Edwards knew this firsthand. Because he saw it happen. In 1744, a group of ministers in Scotland called on believers to engage in prayer. And so they, want, they really wanted to see God move in Scotland. And so what they did is they pledged to pray every Saturday evening, every Sunday morning, and all day on the first Tuesday of each quarter for two years. They made a two-year commitment. They said, this, we're going to do this every week. So every Saturday night, every Sunday morning, and then the first Tuesday all day of every quarter. We're going to do it for two years. So they did it. And during that two years, one town alone had 30 groups of young people formed. They committed themselves to prayer for revival. And so there was so much that happened that the minister sent 500 letters to pastors in New England. So from the UK over to New England to the colonies at that time. And they encouraged them. They, they said, we want you to make a two-year commitment. Why don't you join us? And so Edward said that, there was so much going on that they said, yes, we decide we're going to do that. And they extended the two-year pledge to seven years of prayer. Do you think of the consistency of their praying? Do you think of like every Saturday night, every Sunday morning, every quarter, like they did this methodically, almost like the Methodists, right? They were, they were like systematic. They were committed to prayer. And here's what happened. As a result of their prayers in those colonies, Edwards and a man named George Whitfield, you might have heard of him, they were at the heart of what was called the Great Awakening. And the Spirit of God moved through New England, and conviction came to people. 
And the church rose up and people filled places of prayer. And there was a stirring and there was a preaching that saw many souls become believers. It was amazing. But it started with prayer. Can I just say something to you? We need an awakening in Canada. We need an awakening. You know, when I think about our city, when I think of our nation, we are not winning the war. We are not seeing the souls come in, folks. We are doing what we can. But, but what we can is not enough. This church and every church in this city is doing their best and is working hard to reach people and love people. But, but we're, not, we're not winning the population battle in Calgary. Calgary's growing faster than the church is growing. This is a problem because God wants to move in Calgary, in Alberta, in Canada. And listen, I just want to stir you and encourage you with something. We need another awakening. I remember reading a book recently called The Next Great Awakening. And it, the whole premise was that God was going to move again. And he was going to prepare his people. When I read stuff like this, and you know, we think that our world is worse than it's ever been, and it is bad. But if you go back to those 1700s and you read what was going on, they were pretty dark too. They were pretty bad. People were not living for God. We, I think sometimes we always assume that way back hundreds of years, everybody was serving God. No, they weren't. The colonies were pretty dark. There wasn't a lot going on. And then God came. The light of God came. And people were stirred. But it started even with a few. It really started with a few who said, we're going to pray. We're going to seek God. And we're going to believe God to move. And then it spread and it happened. I want to I plant a seed in your hearts today. You know, we're not a huge church. But you know what forerunners are? They go ahead. Forerunners go ahead. They don't have to be huge. They don't have to be a great number. They just need to be a committed, committed people. Forerunners go ahead. And one of our goals, one of our passions is that we would go ahead of others in prayer and service to lead them to Jesus. We would go ahead and we have a great opportunity in prayer. And I want to encourage you with that today, that there's something that God wants to do. It's also been that, said that extraordinary prayer is when ordinary men and women pray for an extraordinary length of time, for an extraordinary consecutive days in extraordinary numbers. I like that. I like all of that. Um, God's called me at different times, as I'm sure he's called you to to fast, to pray, to give up things for certain days, for uh, Daniel fast. And these are, these are moments where God says, I want you to come close. I want you to give something up. I want you to press in. And then he does something. And it's, it's extraordinary. It's amazing what he does. It's different than what's normal. And hence the word extraordinary. There's ordinary and then there's extraordinary. Ordinary. And we'll look at what that means for all of us because really it just means starting where we live and going another step. And we're going to look that at the end. But here's what Mark eleven twenty four 24 says. I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Wow. Think about that for a moment. What God is saying there. Whatever you've asked for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Now, I have to wonder sometimes. This is what I ponder. I ponder why I don't pray more. You ever thought about that? Why don't I pray more than I do? Now, God is stirring me, and I am praying more than I used to. I think sometimes it's because we don't really believe that God will answer prayer. 
Would you, would you agree with me on that? Because if we really believe what Mark eleven twenty four 24 says, we'd be praying a lot, wouldn't we? We'd be praying a lot because we'd say, God, you're going to answer my prayers. And I think sometimes we've, if you're like me, you've had disappointments. You've had things happen where you prayed hard and it didn't happen. And the enemy says to you, see, it doesn't matter. Don't bother, right? Stop. I think God wants to stir us again and remind us it matters. It's truth. And God wants to do new things. First John 5 says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have what we asked of him. I like this. God says, you know what God says? He says, if you pray according to my will, I hear you. And here's the powerful thing. And if I hear you, you have what you've asked. That's worth meditating on. That means he's more than willing to answer prayer. He just needs to hear it. Isn't that kind of what he's saying there? He needs to hear it. So I think God wants to, us to raise our voice more. So here's a question for you. What are the most memorable answers to prayer you can recall in your life? When you really saw God come through in a difficult circumstance. What are some, what are some answers to prayer that you remember? And I'm going to pull you again. We're going we're to keep pushing against the sleepiness of outside. I'm going to pull you again. Anybody want to share one? Something that God did in your life that was just, it was, a, it was an answer to prayer. Yes. Audrey. Wow. <laughs> well, this is powerful. So for you watching, you might not have heard that. So Audrey wanted her daughter to go to Christian school. And her to have that influence. Didn't have the money. Prayed about it. In the mail came a check for $3,000. And it provided for her to go to school. That's a good story. <laughs> Thank you, Audrey. That's awesome. Anybody else have a good story like that? It could be anything. Yeah, Barb. So your nephew was born with hydrocephalic, okay? Fluid on the brain.
great. That's good. <laughs> That's awesome. So hydrocephalic, nine surgeries in eight years, 25% chance. He not only survived, he's a pastor today. Awesome. These are powerful stories. So God is moving. I'm sure if we kept going, we'd hear other stories. But I just want to encourage you to think about that. You know, one of the things to remember when we doubt about prayer, or maybe there's things we're contending for right now and they're not happening, is to go back and remember what God has already done. Remember, he did this, he did this, he did this. Why would he not intervene now? Why would he not help us now? Thank you to the Pincomb sisters for sharing. Appreciate that. All right, here's some, here's some scenes from the book of Acts I want to briefly go through where there was extraordinary prayer that produced an amazing result. The first one is the upper room. So we know what happens. Just a quick recap. So Jesus, of course, dies on the cross. He's with his disciples for, 10 day, for 40 days. Sorry. He appears to them at different times. Then he ascends into heaven. When he ascends into heaven, he tells them to wait for the promise from the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. So 120 of them go. And they go to what's an upper room, an upper uh, place to meet. And for 10 days, they spend time praying and being together. I don't know about you, but that's kind of extraordinary. 10 days together, 120 people in an upper room. I've often imagined what that might have been like. I don't think it was glorious. I don't know what was going on there, but it would have been challenging. And they didn't even know what they were waiting for. They knew that God had said, wait. And so they did. Jesus said, wait. When they waited for those 10 days together, 120 people, the day of Pentecost came, and it says in Acts 2, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, and 3,000 people were saved that day. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Now, I, it's easy to focus on that day, but it was the 10 days of the 120 people who gutted it out in obedience that set the stage. That was extraordinary prayer. That was, that was asked by God. It was God who gave them that assignment through Jesus. Jesus gave them that assignment, and they obeyed, and God moved. Here's the second one. It's Peter. Prayer for Peter. I love this story. Acts chapter 12. Um, I love what happens. King Herod kills James who is the brother of John. You ever think about how short James's career was? <laughs> I, was I was watching The Chosen and, and just meditating on this as I read my Bible and thinking, Peter, James, and John, right? They're like the, the three inner core of Jesus. You know, they were always the ones that he, he brought close to him. He spent time with even above the others. And the first martyr in the church in Jerusalem is James, John's brother. One of the sons of thunder. He struck down immediately. He spends three and a half years with Jesus. And then he dies quickly. And then his brother John is the longest living apostle. Dies in his 90s. Think about it. The first one died young. And the next one was the oldest. Do you ever wonder what happens with these things? Like, God, what was going on there? But there was something happening there. So it was a really tough time. So Herod heard from the people that they really liked it. That this is... Like, wow, we're really good for you to persecute these Christians. So he grabs Peter and thinks, I'm going to kill Peter too. I'm going to make him even happier. Puts Peter in prison. Well, here's what the church does. The church says, we're going to pray. 
So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made to God intensely by the church. Intensely. Which means with extreme force or strength. To an extreme degree. I don't know what intensely looks like. But it would have been like intense. <laughs> maybe a lot of people. Maybe a long time. Maybe, you know, who knows. Crying out to God. Like it wasn't, it wasn't passive. It would have been impassioned. It would have been aggressive. It would have been sustained. Probably throughout the night. Like I'm just examining, you know, considering what intense was. Let me just say something here. I think the problem sometimes for all of us in Western Christianity, especially North America, is the word intense. I think because we're comfortable, we lack intensity at times. I know I do. I know I do. I don't know if intensely often expresses what I'm doing, if I'm really got that intensity. Anyway, they pray for him. And the amazing thing is he's set free. Now, if you read the story, an angel comes to him. He doesn't even know it, think it's a real angel at first. He thinks it's a vision. Angel comes to him, leads him out. All the gates open. He's free. It's amazing. He actually goes to the place. This always makes me laugh. He goes to the place where they've been praying for him to be set free. He's at the door and Rhoda, the woman, opens the door, tell, runs inside, tells them that it's Peter. And they go, it can't be. Wait a minute, guys. You just were praying for Peter to be. It can't be Peter. It must be his angel. I don't know what all that means. But anyway, finally they come out and it is Peter. And then he goes to another place. But, but his miraculous release with angels was because the church intensely prayed. Is the same God who did that then the same God who lives today? Yes. He responds to intensity. He responds to his people, just like he did then. Last picture, Acts 10. And so this is a different picture. This is in Caesarea. There lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Now, let me just say something. He was a Gentile, which means he was non-Jewish. But he was a God-fearer. And sometimes some of the Gentiles, they would get fed up with the idolatry of their culture. And, and they, would, they would choose to align themselves with the Jews in seeking after God. Now, he wouldn't have believed in everything the Jews believed in, circumcision, some of their practices, but he was a God-fearer. He was pointing his, himself in the direction of God, even though he was a non-Jew. And so, not only was he praying regularly, but he was giving generously to the poor. And what happened, this is so awesome, guys. What happened is, God in heaven was looking down and pondering who the first Gentile family would be who would receive the Holy Spirit and receive his blessing, and he found Cornelius. If you don't think that God doesn't see what you and I do when it comes to giving to the poor, giving to others, or prayer, he sees it all. He notices Cornelius, and so what he does is um, he has a vision, and he sees an angel come to him, and Cornelius says, what is it, sir? What do you want with me? And the angel says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send someone to men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter 
He's staying with Simon a tanner who lives near the seashore. So what happens is they go to Peter. Peter has a vision before that. We won't get into that. And Peter knows he's to go. Peter goes back with the men that are sent. And that man, Cornelius, and his household are filled with the Holy Spirit. They become the first Gentiles to receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. Like, unbelievable. And what, let, let me just say this. What precipitated this? What was it? It was the prayers of Cornelius that were up, going up regularly. And his gifts to the poor. That set him apart. Isn't that powerful? That's powerful. See, God doesn't do things by accident. He does things because he responds to people. He responds to men and women. And so I think that should be an encouragement to all of us. That God wants to do extraordinary things through our lives as well. I want to finish with a thought here. And then we'll close. I want to finish with a thought um, by Jerry Truesdale. He writes about this extraordinary prayer and, um, in, in his book, Kingdom Unleashed. He says this, We can also say unequivocally that every major revival and every movement of the Spirit was preceded by long, intense prayer. The question then is, why do Christians in the global north, North American Europe, spend so little time and attention on prayer. Prayer is the lifeblood of movements. Hey, we've been talking about movement here. Prayer is the lifeblood of movements. The church in the global north does not rely on prayer. And if behavior is any indication, it does not believe in it either. If we're going to see movements in the global north, we will need to see a new ongoing commitment to serious Intense, there it is again. Persistent prayer for God to open heaven, to raise up disciple makers and church planners, to guide to us to his people of peace. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? We need people of peace. We need people that can help us get into the culture and to empower our work. Without that, there will be no movements. And the church will continue its slow decline into irrelevance in global North culture. Here's what I'm sensing. We're talking movement. And my biggest concern would be personally, even in this church, that we would talk about movement for two months, three months, but not see movement because there's an element that could be missing. And I want to encourage you, as I encourage myself, to press into prayer. That if you and I want to be part of the movement that he has for us, that we need to find ways to get into extraordinary prayer. And he'll lead us into that. I have an example to close with a story of a man named Reese Howells. Who's familiar with Reese Howells? The Intercessor, right? There's a book that is written about him called The Intercessor. Here, here's what's amazing about Reese Howells. He ran um, the Bible College of Wales for a lot of years. When World War II started... Reese called his students together and they began praying every night from seven, I think it was from seven, yeah, to midnight. Every night throughout the war, they prayed as a school. And there's journals that, that Reese has where he talks about, um, I'm just going to, get this article here. There's journals that Reese has where they, um, 
That's okay. I lost my quote. <laughs> There's journals that Reese Howells that they have where he talks about the different parts of the war and what God said to him and what God was doing and how they pressed in. The Battle of Dunkirk, the, the Battle of Britain over in the airwaves. Um, they were praying all through this and they would have moments where they would sense, I think something's broken. I think there's been a breakthrough. And it would be just at the moment when God did something unique and, and there was breakthrough because they were, they were pushing through. They were um, battling through and God was doing something. And I do have a quote here that I'm going to read. This is uh, someone who, um, th- th- listen to this for a second. This is, at the, this is by Grubb who writes a book on this. After the war, Air Chief Marshal Lord Dowding, Commander-in-Chief of Fighter Command in the Battle of Britain, made this significant comment. Even during the battle, one realized from day to day how much external support was coming in. At the end of the battle, this is an unbeliever, this is not a Christian. At the end of the battle, one had the sort of feeling that there had been some special divine intervention to alter some sequence of events which would otherwise have occurred. See, Reese Howells and the people that prayed throughout the war every night, we will never know how much they changed the history of that battle. There's things that have happened that, that historians can't explain. Hitler's decisions, they don't understand why he did what he did. I think it was a result of prayer. I think God confused the enemy. I think change came in. So how does such extraordinary prayer look for all of us? You know, you know, Reese Howells and his group, they prayed every night of the war. You know, that's pretty extraordinary. Some of the other things we just shared, they're pretty high-level extraordinary prayer. What does it mean for you and I? Well, what next small step? All I would ask you and I to consider is this. What next small step might God be asking you to make your prayer life become extraordinary. Whatever you and I are doing right now is ordinary, okay? Whatever we're doing in prayer right now is ordinary. So what's going to make it extraordinary? Maybe you take your prayer time and it goes from 10 to 20 minutes. Maybe it goes from 20 minutes to 40 minutes. Maybe it goes 30 minutes to an hour. Maybe you add in some fasting, like maybe a meal, two, or even a whole day every week. Maybe that's part of it. For us as pastors here at Forerunner, Bellamy and Joel and Dee, we talked about this. We just had a meeting this week. We said, what can we do? What should we do? And so we want to we lead in this. And, and we want to just lead personally and then go from there. So what we're going to do is every Thursday now until the end of June, at least till the end of June, we're going to fast. The four of us are going to fast. Seek God for our church and for what he's doing. And then we're going to spend an hour praying together Thursday evening at 7 o'clock. And what we're doing is 7 to 8. And we're going to invite any of you who want to join us at that time. We're not making it like a big church event. We're not making it a call to prayer for the church. We're just saying we're going to meet and pray 7 o'clock Thursday night online. If you want to be part of it, if you feel like you want to join in, you can. And that's all. No pressure, no no uh, kind of guilt or anything like that. We just want to start off in our own lives to dig in. Because we believe there's more for this church. And we want to lead in that. And we'll, we'll be open to whatever else God says as well. But I think there's something. If I could just 
encourage you, the biggest question to go from here with would be, what do you want me to do, God? What is that next step for me so that I can engage in this? And then what are the things I'm going to believe for? So let me show you the questions and then we're done. Where do you need answers to prayer in your life now? And how might God be calling you to extraordinary prayer in order to have breakthrough? What are the things you're fighting maybe in your family? Maybe there's things you're dealing with, maybe financial, maybe health, whatever it is. And maybe God's just saying, okay, you need to drill in on this. You need to go extraordinary on this and believe for breakthrough. Where, Where might God be calling you and I to prayer for circumstances in our country and the world? What are some things that he really says, I want you to zero in on this. I want you to pray into this issue. And what is the next step for you to participate in extraordinary prayer? That's all. And I think if we ask the Lord, he'll show us. And again, I want to just say this. I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, just dead works or trying to, you know, make God like us or just you have to do this. I know one thing in my life. When God calls me to do something and when he stirs my heart, I can do it. He gives me grace. And it actually blesses me. It actually causes me to grow. So I want to pray for you. Could you stand with me as we close? And I just want to pray for for all of us here today. And just pray that God would, would guide us. Can we do that? Let's just bow our heads for a moment. And can I encourage you just to lock in for a moment? And just before we leave here, ask the Lord what he's saying to you today about this. What is he saying to you? Lord, would you show us by your spirit what you're saying to us this morning? What are you calling each of us to do? What does it look like? And I just pray right now that, that you would give us a sense of that. And I pray that faith would arise in our hearts. I really do. And Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I just come against unbelief and doubt regarding prayer. Father, I think all of us at times have obviously been disappointed. We haven't had answers. And sometimes I think it causes us to kind of maybe move away a bit. And I just come against that right now. Unbelief, doubt, even fear. And I pray that out of a place of trust and faith, you would speak to us and we would know what you're calling us to do. Whatever it is, whatever the next step is. I pray for grace for these people, for myself too. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd lead us. And Father, overall, we ask you that we would be, as a church, a movement that would embrace prayer. Father, I'm just going to say it. I, I ask you to forgive me where we haven't had enough prayer. We haven't, we haven't gone deep enough. We haven't done enough in pressing in. And I would say that's true. But Lord, I'm asking you now to give us a new season. And it wouldn't come out of just formulas or have-tos. It would come out of a heart. A spirit of prayer. Lord, I ask you to bring a spirit of prayer into Forerunner Church, into each of us, into this whole uh, family of believers, that there'd be a movement here that would be based on prayer, seeking you, hearing your voice, and there'd be breakthroughs, and there'd be miracles, and there'd be everything we see in the New Testament. God, I ask you for that. 
I pray a blessing over each person as they go from here. Give, a, give us a great week, Lord, as we continue to read in the book of Acts. Stir our hearts, build faith, and help us to go deeper. And we'll give you all the glory. And we'll thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. If anyone's watching and you want to find out how to have Jesus as your Savior and Lord, maybe you're online and you don't know Jesus, um, we'd be glad to walk with you on that. You can send us an email at info at forerunnerchurch.ca. And we'd be glad to answer your questions and help you to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord bless you. Thanks for those that joined online today. We really appreciate you being with us. And thanks to everyone here in, in the service. Let's have a great week. Let's believe God. Let's, let's ask him what extraordinary things he wants to do in our lives. All right? God bless you. If you need prayer, you can come up and we will pray for you today. All right? <laughs> you can start there as well. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great week.